away. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Game seven is over. It's an instant classic. It's the T.C. Martin Show. A three for the game. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. You've got to pinch me. The doctor is now in. And a very good Friday to you, literally a good Friday today. At the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas, it is the T.C. Martin Show. Of course, streaming live, tcmartinshow.com. And of course, here locally in Vegas, of course, it is the T.C. Martin Show, along with Ballpark Frank, Brian Benowitz from the Cosmopolitan, the Quake making things happen back in the studio and the Numchuck here at the Indianapolis. Got that reference? You like that? Yeah. Maybe not. There you go. All right. Cosmopolitan Las Vegas. It is our final four preview show today. We'll be breaking down both games very in uh, intensely today. No doubt about it. The head coach, Pete Gillen, is going to join us. Yes, Pete Gillen, CBS Sports, the former Xavier Musketeer coach that uh, went to many NCAA tournaments back in the day, as well as Providence and Virginia as well. He will join us. And uh, our good friend, the former uh, interim coach at UNLV a few years back, uh, parlayed his way into the job at Southern Utah, Todd Simon. And yesterday, Todd Simon was named the Jim Phelan Coach of the Year. So a very impressive uh, award for Todd Simon. Uh, what he's done at Southern Utah, winning the uh, Big Sky regular season um, uh, conference uh, this season, fantastic. And uh, he beat out some hefty, hefty names for the coach of the year. So he will join us a little bit later on in the program as well. And we'll be talking a lot of Final Four action uh, with you here today. All right, gentlemen, uh, we are ready. Uh, Brian Benowitz, my man again, uh, donned in his UCLA blues. I have followed suit today. And Double B, I felt, of course, you know, I've worn the, the UCLA blue, uh, has brought some good luck. I was on the fence, didn't know which way to go. UCLA, Michigan. So, again, I'm, I'm back to the Bruins, and, and I hope that uh, this is not the last time I have to wear this shirt uh, before football season. TC, you look beautiful. <laughs> you look beautiful in your UCLA blue. Uh, and, and, yes, we're going to do the show here on Monday, and I am very confident you're going to wear it again on Monday as the Bruins go for uh, title number 12. You, you call an upset. They're a 14-and-a-half-point underdog, and, and Double B is calling outright winner? Listen, right there, look at that. He's a good-looking guy right there. <laughs> there it is. Uh, you know, this isn't about point spreads when you get here. This is pressure. Uh, there's been a lot of things, and, you know, uh, there's been a lot of teams that looked a lot better in a matchup going into the Final Four. Uh, Duke and UNLV. The high-flying UNLV running Rebels were supposed to pound Duke. They didn't. Phi Slamma Jamma was supposed to destroy NC State. They didn't. The style of game that UCLA plays and the way they play together, they can absolutely play with this team. When you've won 27 games in a row by double digits and this game's coming down to the wire, we'll see what Gonzaga's made out of. All right. Are you going to the window? I'll go to the window. Sure. There it is. Yeah. Take, take it all 14. What else is new? What well, else is new? Where are you going go to go strong, go strong money line play? Well, I know yeah. you do. Yeah. I, I think both of them, great money line on both teams. Wow. Both sides. Doggy dog weekend. There it is. Doggy dog weekend. Yep. All right, ballpark. What do you think? You know, I, I think UCLA, if they slow it down and they make it an ugly game and they get the fortuitous free throw defense, as uh, it's been known uh, in, in this tournament for whatever reason, whenever when anybody plays UCLA, 
they can't shoot free throws all of a sudden. Uh, that could help him out there. But uh, Brian doesn't have to go to the window. All he's got to do is go to his phone because he's got the uh, TC50 account right here at William Hill. <laughs> That's so. right. There you go. Very nice. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get the real breakdown from our good friend, the coach. Uh, who is uh, out and about uh, back east checking everything out there, Indianapolis. We're talking about the one and only Pete Gillen, uh, a great friend, and of course the former head coach at Xavier, Providence, and Virginia, and does a fantastic job as part of the CBS Sports Networks uh, covering the NCAA tournament. Uh, Pete has seen more basketball than we can only dream of, and he joins us now. What's going on, Pistol Pete? T.C. Martin, great to be with you. You're a great American, and it's my pleasure to be with you. <laughs> my man, Pete Killen. Hey, Pete, before we start talking about the Final Four Saturday and eventually the championship on Monday, let's uh, stick in your realm into the coaching ranks and uh, with the news that came out yesterday about Roy Williams retiring after uh, 33 seasons, uh, 48 total of, of coaching overall as an assistant and a head coach, but 33 as a head coach, as we know, led North Carolina to three NCAA titles, uh, just an amazing career for him. 18 at North Carolina where he won uh, 485 games. And then, uh, of course, we remember him at Kansas as well, 15 seasons prior to being at North Carolina. Four Final Fours for Roy Williams, a total of 903 victories, fourth most in the history. Uh, he's 70 years old. When you heard the news of Roy Williams stepping down yesterday, Pete, what were your thoughts? I was a little surprised, T.C., but he's had a wonderful career, and, uh, you know, it was time to, you know, hang up the sneakers. So he loves to play golf, so I'm sure we play playing golf four or five times a week. But I was with him a uh, long time ago, and, uh, you know, you were sleeping. I was working at a, uh, a basketball uh, tournament out uh, in Sheffield, England. It was called the World University Games team. Yeah. With both assistants, P.J. Colissimo was the head coach, and Roy Williams was the top assistant. I was the second assistant. So I got to know him pretty well. Uh, he's a great guy, tremendous coach, uh, had an unbelievable career, one of the you know top college coaches of all time. A, a great, great run for Roy Williams, and uh, I'm really uh, happy for him. I'm sure he'll enjoy his retirement. Let me ask you something, Pete, here. Is this a sign that maybe the old guard is on its way out? We look at Duke's Mike Krzyzewski. He's 74 years old. Jim Bayheim at Syracuse, 76. Bobby Huggins is 67. Rick Pitino, 68. Tom Izzo, 66. Leonard, Leonard Hamilton, he's 72. Rick Barnes is 66. John Calipari, he's, he's a young guy of the bunch. I don't think a lot of people realize that Calipari is 62 years old. But, you know, we're seeing these coaches, you know, in their 70s that we're thinking, okay, maybe it's, it's a younger person's game now. Maybe administrators want to go a younger way. Uh, all of these coaches have had immense success. But uh, do you think that we're getting to a time now where we're seeing guys like Jawan jo Howard getting and Patrick Ewing getting these coaching jobs first time? Is that going to be more of what we see in the future? I think so, TC. I think, you know, the, the strain, the stress of it, the social media, the criticism. I think after a while, coaches, they had enough when you're in your middle to late 60s and early 70s and mid-70s. That's a, that's a strain on you. So I, I can see... Yeah, Lon Kruger retired, as you know, recently from Oklahoma. Uh, you know, he was an old guard coach, and I coached against Lon uh, when uh, he was at Kansas State, and I was at Xavier the NCAA term. So some of these coaches, I think they're going to stop dropping off and retiring now, and the younger men will be coming in because it, it takes a lot out of you. And you can't do it forever, and uh, these guys also had wonderful careers, the guys you mentioned. So I think you're right. There's going to be a new guard coming in the next four or five years, and these other coaches now 
are going to slowly, uh, you know, drop down and, uh, you know, retire. Not to get too personal with you, Pete, but was age a concern for you when you decided to leave coaching, or was that determined for you by administrators, you know, by your age? And I know that's kind of a, a touchy question, but I feel I can ask you that. Uh, and, and this is a very sensitive, you know, time with, you know, where people do not, you know, uh, feel like sometimes they lose their job because of age discrimination. Uh, just put yourself, uh, you know, take us through what happened with you when you decide to hang them up. No, TC, we're friends to the end, and this is the end. So, uh, no, I'll be glad to uh, answer the question. Uh, I, you know, I was fired at Virginia. We, you know, had a winning program. We went to the postseason five out of seven years, but only one NCAA tournament. Uh, we lost to Gonzaga by one. So I was in my, you know, 50s, uh, late 50s. And, I, I, you know, the next three or four years, I had chances to come back to coach at a lower level, not in the ACC, at Virginia. Uh, I wasn't offered jobs, but I was in the final two or three of a bunch of schools without mentioning their names, but seven or eight schools that people had, you know, sincere interest in me, and a couple of West Coast schools, I'll mention two of them, San Francisco, Loyola, Marymount. But, uh, you know, they didn't offer me the job, but they said, you're one of our final two or three four men, and we like to talk to you. And I, I thought about it, and I, I interviewed one of them, but then I, I dropped out. Uh, so, and then I got into broadcasting right away. I was fortunate to do that. So I kept my toes, uh, you know, in the in the game. So, uh, and I just said, well, that's enough. I, I did it for 30 years, uh, 10 years as an assistant at four different schools at Hawaii, Virginia Military, Villanova, and Notre Dame. I worked with Rick Pitino at Hawaii, as you might know, for a year. We were both assistants. I worked with Digger Phelps at Notre Dame and Rolly Massimino at Villanova. So I was blessed to work with great people. And I had then 20 as head coach. Uh, nine at Xavier, four at Providence, and then seven at Virginia. So 30 years is a long time. It's a lot of stress and pressure. So, uh, I, you know, I got into TV and broadcasting, doing a little uh, radio for a while, you know, some games on Westwood One Radio and then uh, TV with TBS Sports Network. So, that, you know, I said, hey, that's enough. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll let it to the younger guys, and uh, I'm still a small part of the game. Pete, when it comes to naming a successor for Roy Williams, I noticed today that there's a movement by some people that are saying that um, Roy Williams should have the right to name his own successor. What do you think about something like that? Do you think that's a, fees uh, a, a plausible thing, or do you think the athletic director and the administration is going to go, well, yeah, we'll, we'll maybe take his input on it, but when all's said and done, we're going to be naming the head coach here? Yeah, I don't think Roy should name the successor. Once again, uh, give his input. I'm sure they'll take that certainly into consideration. But the athletic director, the president, the board of directors of the school, whatever, they should name the head coach. You know, once again, because sometimes you get too subjective, too personal. I'm sure Roy would have a good recommendation, but I think the AD and president should make that call. It's, it's too many, you know, uh, entangling alliances that can sometimes cloud your decision. Sometimes you, you know, uh, your good friend you don't want to hire because sometimes it doesn't work out. So. I think AD and president should make that call. Pete, a guy that you probably know, I, I knew a little bit uh, back in the day, uh, it was Jimmy Black, who's been his longtime assistant coach going back to Kansas and followed him over to North Carolina. And I'm sure no one's even talking about that. Uh, I'm not even sure if Jimmy would want the job, but it would seem if, if Roy's going to uh, try to appoint his uh, successor, maybe it would be Jimmy Black, but I'm sure that there are a, a lot of you know, North Carolina would probably like to go maybe in a different direction. Do you think that would be a possibility? It could be. Well, maybe Hubert Davis is on the bench right now. With That's him, true. You know, yeah. who's, it was a, a tremendous player at North Carolina, and now he's been assistant there for, I'm not sure, five or six years. So I think he might be 
possible candidate, and two good candidates. So we'll see. I, I think, you know, it's, once again, it's a wonderful job, but it's tough firing a legend. I mean, you know what I mean? I, I uh, you know, I had a chance. I, I wasn't offered the Notre Dame job, but there was some interest. Uh, I was asked to apply for it, um, you know, because I was assistant there for five years. I was at Xavier at the time, and I certainly was not offered the job, but I, I was asked to apply. And I thought about it for a day, and I, I you know, I humbly declined. I said, hey, I'm happy at Xavier, and, you know, because following a legend like Digger Phelps or following a legend like Roy Williams is not easy, you know what I mean? A lot of, a lot of people do, but it, once again, I was not offered the Notre Dame job at all. But I had a chance to get it because uh, I was there for five years. But, uh, I, you know, I, I think uh, to each his own. A lot of people follow legends, but I don't think that's an ideal situation, you know what I mean? Because you're, you're going against the ghost that you really can't compete with. Hey, Pete, this is Brian Benowitz. I, I had a question because, uh, you know, uh, TC brought up the old guard, and the old guard was used to uh, a different type of recruiting. They used to take players and develop them over three to four years, and now with the one and done and the transfer portal and nobody talks about graduation rates, I mean, that just doesn't exist anymore. Do you think that these guys are just a little bit fed up at this point of their career and saying, hey, it might be a little tiresome to continue down this path? Exactly, 100% right. I, I think John Beeline, one of the reasons, I know he wanted to get into the NBA, you know, he looked at a couple of programs, I think uh, Detroit and then Cleveland, um, I think he was fed up with some of these players going one and done. You know, he had some great plays. He's a wonderful coach. I know John. But I think, um, certainly can't speak for him, I think he got fed up and tired of a lot of his players leaving after one year or two years. And then he had to recruit all over. So I think that a new age, new era, I think some of these, uh, you know, older coaches say, hey, this is crazy. This is, uh, this is completely chaos. And uh, I had enough of this. I, I, I enjoy recruiting, but I can't do it, you know, 24 hours a day seven days a week, you know, uh, all year round. So I, I think th this new era, the one and done and people leaving, and it transfers. I, when I coached for 30 years, uh, when I was a head coach for 20, uh, when players transferred out, I felt badly because I promised their family I'd try to get, a, get them a good education. They didn't have to do the work, of course, but, uh, you know, you take care of them. So, and you feel badly. But now people, you know, leave like three or four kids a year leave a, a program. I mean, I don't know how many people in a transfer portal it's ridiculous. So I think it's a new era, and uh, some of the older coaches like myself when I was a coach might be a little tired of it. Pete Gillen joins us with CBS Sports and the former coach at Xavier, Providence, and Virginia. And we're talking about uh, the coaching situation as the legend Roy Williams retires, and like you mentioned, and we you know, mentioned earlier this week and last week, uh, Long Kruger retired as well too. Bill Self receives a lifetime contract from KU. Uh, Pete, he's, he can't be fired. What's going on? Sign up for that gig. <laughs> he, well, he deserved it. He was a wonderful coach. Had an unreal you know, career so far, and it's going to go on, I'm sure, for a long time. So uh, congratulations to Bill. I mean, he's just uh, uh, you know, one of the top coaches in the profession, won a national title, of course. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, he can't spend all his money. I like to have some of the money that falls out of his pockets on a week. So, uh, <laughs> he certainly uh, deserves that, that uh, accolade of getting a lifetime contract. All right, before we move into the final four games, uh, the postseason awards are coming down here. Uh, Luca Garza named the player of the year from Iowa, averaged 24 points per game, eight rebounds. I know you got a chance to see him quite a bit this year. Uh, Pete, I, first of all, you talk about Garza, and I know that there's a rep out there that people are saying, hey, this guy's game isn't going to transfer to the NBA. Uh, give us your thought uh, about Garza, and should he have been named player of the year? 
I think so. There's a lot of worthy candidates for sure. Cunningham from Oklahoma State was great. And uh, you can talk about Jalen Suggs maybe from Gonzaga or Timmy, you know, potential national champions. They could be a a candidate. And I'm sure there's a bunch of others. Uh, But uh, I think he deserves it. He had a wonderful career. You know, he shot a high percentage. Uh, Iowa had some very good players around him. Not great players, but very good players. They had a, a terrific season. In the Big Ten, which is the top conference in the country, they were one of the top three or four teams. So I think he deserved it. It's that many points, 20-something points, a high shooting percentage. Uh, and secondly, I think his game will translate to the NBA. He's not a, a tremendous athlete as far as jumping over the backboard and everything, but he can shoot the three. Uh, he's got good hands. He's got good feet. He can score inside. He can score outside. So I think he'll be a, a good, solid player in the NBA. Will he be an all-star? I don't know about that, but I think he'll be. he'll have a – a nice long career in the NBA because of the way he can score the ball. You know what I'm bothered by is giving these awards out before the season's even done. And, and again, you, you mentioned uh, you know Timmy with Gonzaga and Jalen Suggs and a couple of guys who got votes. And you mentioned Cade Cunningham from Oklahoma State. Corey Kispert got got a few votes. Baylor's Jared Butler as well too, and Dos Sumo from uh, from Illinois. They all got votes, but not nearly uh, as many as Garza. And Garza, you know, gets the Player of the Year award. Why are we doing this now? The ultimate goal is to win a championship. And it's just not college basketball. It's all sports that we see this, and it just drives me nuts. Make this announcement or come to this determination or, or, or have a vote next week, you know, after the Final Four, after the national championship game. Because in my opinion, I think everyone's opinion, the season is not concluded. Why are we giving out a Player of the Year award before the, the two most important days of the entire season? <clears throat> I agree with you, TC. I, I, it should be team awards, right? But this era we're in of me, 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 you know, I, 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 me, me, me kind of, uh, you know, selfish era, uh, they do that. So I, I don't know. I agree. I think they should wait till the season's over, let's use the champion, and then put everything together and then, then declare the winners. Because, uh, you know, that's it's important, of course, who gets the awards, but wait a couple of days, you know, a few days after the, the championship game on Monday night and then award. I, I agree. I think... Uh, the, the emphasis should be on the team that wins, not all these individual accolades, which are important, but not nearly as important, as, in my opinion, as which team wins the championship. Pete, do you think maybe one of the reasons that they do give the awards out at this time is because they want to take advantage of that Final Four weekend and, you know, the, the, the games on Saturday and then, of course, the final on Monday while, the, while the, every, the whole media and the whole world is still focused on them? And maybe there's a fear a little bit that if they name it after Monday or something that it's not going to have that same sizzle or something. So, because uh, it, it, I agree with you guys, I think it should be the entire season and that includes all the playoffs and after they crown the champion, but it kind of seems like they're trying to do the old strike while the iron's hot. That's part of it, I'm sure. I'm sure the publicity, I'm sure the sponsors, they get a lot of money from sponsorship. They say, hey, we're going to, you know, you give us money to name this award, you know, these various awards, and we'll do it. So uh, a lot of things come down to money, to be honest with you. Everything's money. So I'm sure that's part of it. Uh, but I, I think they should wait until uh, after the championship game. Uh, it, you, you know, certainly a bright, bright light now this weekend. If you follow college basketball, you know, you're, you're certainly tuned in. Even if you don't, you tune in. Maybe you tune in once a year, you, you tune into the Final Four. So uh, it's certainly a, a great stage, but uh, I think it would be better if they push it off. But they're doing it because the spotlight is shining brightest yeah, right but now. And I guess for me, the, the season is not complete. 
Wouldn't the player of the year be that player who leads his team to a national championship? Or maybe he had a, a fantastic year, and say it's UCLA, for example. They, maybe they don't win it all, but maybe they get by Gonzaga on Saturday, and they get to the championship game. And it's a Johnny Juzang, and, and again, he goes off for 40. He went off for 28 the other night. And not saying him specifically, but just using him as an example. The player of the year should be the guy that should be judged from November to the first week of April. It shouldn't just be cut off at the end of the regular season. And we see this in all sports. Yeah, you got no argument from ATC. Uh, it seems like you need to crown a winner and then have a couple weeks and then have some sort of big banquet like the, like you used to when you were a kid, right? right? And they would crown the MVPs of the leagues and all that other stuff. Um, but, you know, I, as, as Pete pointed out very, very clearly, it's all about money. And, and uh, Frank said, strike while the iron's hot. Well, you know what? The sponsors put a lot of money in there, and uh, they want their name on their thing, and they want their, as much exposure as possible. So that's what they go with. Uh, Ju Zhang's a great example. Uh, here's a guy that's just really caught fire. Uh, he came, he got, a, he, he re-injured his ankle again in that game, uh, and then came off the bench and led uh, more than half the points. I want to say 28 out of the 51 points, or whatever the, the final score was. Yep. Uh, so, you know, it, it is nice to see. I'm sure they name, uh, and I can't even remember, they'll name tournament. All Most play outstanding player, they do that, and yeah. then they have an all-tournament team as well, too. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, uh, at the end of the day, it's, it's about cutting down the nets, and that's what these kids are all about. And uh, these kids that, are, that have to get it done this year, uh, they have, they've spent three-plus weeks in one city in their hotel rooms. They've got to be focused, and they've got to be, uh, you know, it's really difficult on them. Uh, but uh, it's going to be quite... Uh, exhilarating for the champion to cut down the nets this year. All right. Pete Gillen joins us, the uh, former coach and uh, current broadcaster with CBS, uh, talking about the Final Four. Okay, Pete, so I'm going to, uh, you know, you're not coaching right now, and uh, you're not calling these games, so uh, you, you get to join us here with a little handicapping, because remember, we are the luxurious Cosmopolitan Sportsbook, Pete, and I know that, you know, you like to throw those dice back in the day in Brooklyn and everything, so you, you're, you're a diehard gambler yourself, Pete, so you got to help oh, us yes. pick some I winners here. gamble on days, only games that end in Y is the days I gamble. <laughs> All right, Pete. Baylor Houston's the first game, and uh, uh, Baylor is a is a five point favorite in this game. Let's match it up a little bit. And who do you like? Uh, it's a great game. You know, it, it's a, a a juxtaposition. I don't know what the word means, PC, but I know you're very smart. So I throw it out there: a juxtaposition of a great offensive team, Baylor, and a great defensive team, Houston. Baylor scores 82 points a game, almost 83 points a game. Uh, and Houston holds their opponent to 57 points. So you got a great offense and a, a tremendous defense. So I think it's going to be a terrific game. Uh, it's going to be like a rock fight. Both teams play very physical. Uh, I'm going to have to uh, you're picking this one close. I'm going to go Baylor's going to win because Houston goes on scoring droughts sometimes. And I'm going to pick Baylor. I won't give you the score, but I, I'm going to say Baylor's going to win uh, in, in a very good close game. In a close game. Okay, Battle of Texas here. And when you look at this this Houston team, Pete, a, a lot of people still aren't that familiar with him. They still don't get a lot of the respect because they're playing in the American, which is a is a decent conference. Really wasn't that great of a conference this year. I mean, years past, it's been a little bit better. I mean, you've got Wichita State who knocked off Houston. Memphis played Houston tough, uh, you know, you know, two games earlier. But all these other games that Houston played in conference, I mean, those games weren't even close. There seemed to be a big disparity in talent uh, with Houston, especially size-wise. Uh, 
they're a beast on the boards. We understand that. But when you look at Baylor, don't you look at, look at Baylor as being the same type of team as Houston, but just maybe a little more fundamentally sound and, and maybe just have uh, more polished players than Houston? I think a little more talented, T.C., you're right. And the American Conference is, is a, a terrific league. It wasn't the strongest league, like you pointed out, this season, you know, other than certainly Memphis was very good, Wichita State, but it wasn't their strongest league. So, uh, but, uh, and, and Baylor, the Big 12 was murder. Murder was really five or six outstanding teams in the Big 12. So they had a tougher tenure. But one thing about Houston, you know, they're, they're really laser-focused. You know, Kelvin Sampson is just uh, driven, he's possessed. I, worked, I was with him on a... USA Basketball Committee selection a group, you know, for about five years. We, out, we went out, uh, uh, we were out uh, in uh, Colorado Springs and got to know him real well. And he just, you know, possessed what he, you know, talks about defense. And, uh, just uh, 24 hours a day, it's basketball. So um, I think, you know, once again, it's not always the, you know, the biggest dog in a fight, the dog with the biggest fight in them. So Houston may be not quite as talented, but uh, I think that Baylor's got to bring their hard hat and be ready. Uh, I think Baylor will win, but if they don't bring their A game, they're going to get upset. What is the key to that game, Pete? What's the single the the game, most important think, game for you? Yeah, most important, I think, is defending the three-point shot. If Houston defends Baylor's three-point shot, Baylor is the leading team in the country in shooting three as a team. Baylor shoots 41% from three-point land. Tops in the country. All right? But Houston, they defend the three great. They, uh, they teams only shoot 28% from three-point land against the Houston Cougars. So uh, if they defend the three, they get a, a great chance for an upset. Uh, and uh, But the problem is Houston has trouble scoring sometimes. They go into scoring droughts and Baylor doesn't. So I think the key to the game is how well Houston defends the three-point shot against the leading three-point shooting team in the country in Baylor. Do you think it's also important for uh, Houston if they want a chance to win this, not only to play that good defense and try to avoid those droughts, but maybe also to stay out of foul trouble? Because it seems to me that Baylor's maybe a little bit deeper on their on their bench in that than Houston is. Good point. Definitely are. Baylor's a little deeper. Uh, it's true. So they got to watch the foul trouble, and they got to see how the game's called. I mean, Houston's a very physical team. You know, they'll, they'll you know, grab you, hold you, they'll bite you in a sneaker if they get knocked down, and you got to be careful. Anybody that bites you in the sneakers is dangerous. So uh, I, I, uh, I think foul situation certainly uh, could hurt Houston. But they, they get an outstanding perimeter, Houston, with uh, Quentin Grimes, you know, Marcus Sasser, and uh, Dijon Giroux. So um, uh, it should be a fun game. I think it's a toss-up, but I give Baylor a slight edge. There it is. All right, Pete Gillen joins us. Gonzaga, UCLA in the nightcap. We know all about the Gonzaga Bulldogs. They've just been blasting everybody. doesn't matter if it's non-conference during the course of the WCC season, in-conference. And then uh, here, of course, during the NCAA tournament, average margin of victory, 24 points. No one's come close. I know a lot of people, Pete, thought that USC could maybe give Gonzaga some problems. That was not the case at all. How do you see UCLA matching up with the Zags? Well... I think, you know, I, I, I love Mick Cronin. Uh, I know him a long time when I was head coach at Xavier uh, in Cincinnati, 1985 to 94. Mick was an assistant high school coach at a place called Woodward High School in Cincinnati. I got to know him a little bit, so I'm a big fan of Mick Cronin. Um, and, you know, he worked for Bob Huggins and Rick Pitino as assistant, so he learned from two of the masters. His dad was a high school coach in Cincinnati, had a great career there coaching basketball. Uh, but they're going against a juggernaut. I mean, Gonzaga, as you mentioned, is ridiculous. Uh, they're 30-0. 27 straight games, as you know, they've won by double figures. And the other two games, they, you know, it's really 29 out of 30. The only guy to keep them close is Bob Huggins. 
uh, you know, when they played uh, Gonzaga, and that was 87-82, and Huggins had two pros, Derek Culver and uh, Deshambe, the big guy, so, you know, who tra- transferred eventually. But um, I just think Gonzaga is too talented. Uh, you know, they're, they're you know, too good. Jalen Suggs is uh, like Jason Kidd, like a runaway train with the ball, pushing it. And Timmy's a wrecking machine on a low post, and Kispert's a great shooter. And the other guy, Ayaye, you know, is, is excellent helping him out, you know, and Nembert, the transfer from Florida, is good. So I just think that too many weapons, and UCLA has trouble scoring. You know, they only score 73 points a game. These guys score 91 a game, and they shoot 55% from the field, PC. I mean, that's video game numbers. That's just ridiculous. So, but, but games, you know, never over. UCLA has to take the air out of the ball, you know, put people to sleep. Anesthetize them is another word you produce a gave me, so I'm trying to throw it out and show it, <laughs> impress some of the fans. You know, try to anesthetize them, put them to sleep, play slow. Juzang's got to play out of his mind, you know, like he did against Michigan. He had 28 points. He's mentioned before. He's got to play great. And Bruins got to hit 12 threes. They got to be knocking them down threes. You know, they, they, they don't average that many. They only average uh, uh, from three point land only seven. They got to make 12 threes. Um, they got to try to get Jalen Suggs in foul trouble. You know, he pushes the brake, try to jump in front of him. When he drives, sometimes he pushes off. They get him in foul trouble. And the other thing is, through Timmy, he's a you know, terminator in a low post. you got to double-team him. You know, as soon as he gets you, you got to mug him. you got to double-team him. I know he's a good passer out of the post, but if you get in there quickly, you can't make the pass, and you got to take your chances on the three. Uh, Timmy shoots 65% from you know, the field, 65. I mean, uh, I'm not the sharpest knife in the draw. I'm not even in the draw, but 65% is pretty good. So every time he gets it, he, he's, he's murdered. So uh, I, I have to go with Gonzaga on that one because uh, uh, I just think that there's too many weapons. I, I think I think Gonzaga, I'm stretching a little bit, but I think they're one of the top ten college basketball teams of all time. And uh, not certainly with the Bruins, with Jabbar and Wall, not in that class. But I think, you know, because of Suggs, who's, I think is unbelievable, and Timmy's a very good college player at Pittsburgh, I, I think they're a tremendous team. When it comes to that, and you're talking about one of the top ten teams of all time, where do you put that Indiana team that went undefeated, the last team to go undefeated? Because they had Scott May, Kent Benson, Quinn Buckner. They had a pretty formidable team, obviously, going undefeated back in those days. But um, where would you put them? Because we always hear about the the, the Lou Elsendor, Kareem Jabbar teams, and Bill Walton's and that, like you mentioned. But although people know about the Indiana team, I don't know that maybe they get really the love they respect overall. Very good point. I think the Indiana team was better than the Gonzaga team. I agree. I think they were better, you know. Uh, but the Indiana team, they had tremendous players, Quinn Buckner and Ken Benson and Wilkerson. But I didn't think they had any superstars. They didn't have a Michael Jordan or a Patrick Ewing or, you know, or Magic Johnson. The same thing with this Gonzaga team. They don't have a superstar. They had some terrific players. And Jalen Suggs, you know, could be a star one day. He certainly is not yet. He's only a young man, only a freshman, 19 years old, I think. So, uh, but I, I put the Indiana team of 76 uh, ahead of this Gonzaga team. But I think it, it's comparable, though. Hey, uh, Pete, the last two really outstanding basketball teams to go into the Final Four undefeated, uh, UNLV and Kentucky, both the, uh, the spotlight proved to be too bright for them. And now they're not even really discussed upon as, as one of the great teams. Do you think that's a motivator for Gonzaga now to get it done and to prove that they are one of the best teams of all time? I think it's been mentioned to them, but I think they're loosey-goosey, TC. I think they're loosey-goosey. I mean, they're wrecking everybody, beating everybody double figures. I mean, shooting 55%. Which team did that recently? That's tough to do. 91 points a game. So 
I, you know, I don't think they've been facing the, the competition, maybe, you know, that uh, these other teams face. So, Gonzaga hasn't been challenged. I mean, uh, you know, 27 games in a row winning double figures is unbelievable. I mean, be that focused. So, uh, I just don't think they've seen the strength of teams against them. Now, Baylor, if Baylor wins, and they might not, if Baylor wins, Baylor can give them a good game, but uh, Baylor, is, I, I don't think, can quite, you know, handle, uh, you know, Gonzaga right now. So, I, I just think the competition, it's, it's a good year, but I don't think it's great competition for Gonzaga. Uh, this year. And, and Pete, you, you hit it right there, and we always talk about it. Everybody, when they want to knock Gonzaga, the, the, the thing that comes to the forefront is, well, they play in the WCC, and the WCC isn't that bad of a conference, but like you said, they've blasted everybody, but they've also you know, played five non-conference opponents earlier on, and we've mentioned those before. You know, West Virginia played them close. So, you know, Iowa, that was an 11-point game. That was probably a little bit closer than the score indicated. You know, uh, you know Auburn, Virginia uh, as, as well, too. Should Gonzaga maybe get a little bit, uh, you know, more respect? Because I think the people are just waiting, like, okay, you know, they haven't really been tested here in the NCAA tournament because when you're the number one overall seed, I mean, okay, you're playing the 8-9, and then you're playing a double digit. And, uh, again, the way these matchups have, uh, you know, have lined up for Gonzaga, it, they, they re- it's favored them all the way here. So, and I'm sure Mark Few takes a lot of bullets with that as well, too. Hey, you guys have been here before. You've never won the big one. But then again, when you look at their strength of schedule, is it really that bad? No, not at all. But the teams they've beaten, Kansas was not a typical Kansas team. Virginia lost so many players, was not a typical Virginia team. Right? Yeah. Auburn lost everybody from last year, was not a typical Auburn team. You know, but it's not their fault. They played the teams in front of them. You know, uh, West Virginia was you know you know better than they have been. But but the, yeah, they should get more respect though. Uh, I think they should be because I mean they're, they're wrecking teams. They're not. They're killing them. I mean, and shooting 55% from the field once again. Uh, they're beating people by uh, 23 points a game. I mean they, they haven't been challenged yet. So now UCLA makes a great coach and he's going to slow it down and, and anything can happen. Somebody can get in foul trouble. Somebody could turn an ankle. You know somebody could not be be sick that day. Uh, COVID can always rear his head. You never know. Anything can happen. I don't think so. But you know who knows. So nothing's guaranteed, but I, I think these uh, Gonzaga right now is a prohibitive favorite uh, to win the whole thing. I just think, uh, and Mark Few's do. Uh, and you know the thing about Mark Few, T.C., he's won a million games, 80-something percent, the highest winning percentage of Division One coach. But, it, you know, everybody likes him. Usually when you win that much, everybody hates you, right? right? <laughs> they, they hated me. We, at Davey, we won a lot of games. I was hated. I, I, so I used to wear a bag over my head in Cincinnati a lot of times, you know? So, oh, so, yeah, those so, uh, Cincinnati Xavier games, Pete. Though, you talk about rock fights. I mean, that was a little bit more than rock fights back then. Oh, that was this certain thing. Hate and a serious thing. That was serious. Hate. But, uh, <laughs> Bob Huggins and I would get along well now. It's more, the, you know, the, the alumni of all schools and everything else. But, uh, yeah, that was, those were rock fights. Those were, you know, crazy. Uh, the, the city just went crazy for that week, the Xavier-Cincinnati uh, games. And uh, they were tremendous battles. I, five years I had it with... Coach Huggins, uh, we won two, they won three. We had some great battles. And, uh, uh, but, uh, you know, Mark Few is really well-respected and liked, so that's a tribute to him as a person. That even though they win prohibitive, they win so many games every year, 30 games almost every year, last four or five years, 30 games plus, and everybody, you know, he likes him. He's not being disparaged. The only thing they'll say is, all right, the league is that. But the WCC has gotten much better the last five years. It's a very good league, and that's credit to Gonzaga. 
the school said, hey, we better put some money in. They're embarrassing us, right, with their all their winning. We, we better put some money into the coaches' salaries and the facilities and the locker rooms and trips to Europe once every four years or somewhere. So uh, the WCC has gotten much better because of Gonzaga's great success. And, and let's give Gonzaga credit, too, especially in the year of the pandemic where people didn't even really play non-conference games. They played five top-tier schools. Now, you, you hit the nail on the head, Pete. Those weren't your typical, uh, you know, seasons for Kansas and Virginia and West Virginia and Auburn and, and, and the likes of, of, of those. You know, Iowa w- was very good, but they handled them pretty well. But give credit for Gonzaga for a small school who, who went out and scheduled and actually got the thing accomplished. And let's don't forget, they had Baylor on the schedule as well, too. And that game got postponed back on December the 5th. So, you know, and we're all waiting and hoping that that's the championship game that we could see because we never got that on December the 5th. But no one really talks about how Gonzaga scheduled because a lot of times at these smaller schools, they, you know, they schedule very, very poorly. We see it in football. We see it in basketball, too. Exactly. Now, you're a great point. You peel back the onion, TC, like nobody. You know, <laughs> I love I onions, Pete. I love onions, especially the grilled onions on my Chicago so dog or, or on my French onion soup like they have here at the Cosmopolitan at the Henry. Fantastic. By the way, the Blue Ribbon needs spell, to get the French onion soup back, onion WB. Yeah, I'm just going to spell your onion breath through the phone here. But, uh, <laughs> no, I love onions, too. But when I coach, I play teams with no necks, no uniforms, and basketballs with no air in them. So, uh, you know, scheduling, but Mark Few, yeah, you hit on the head. He, he tried to play the best teams he could play, but, uh, you know, as you said, the, the teams were not as strong as they had been in the past, and the Baylor game got canceled because of the COVID problem. So, uh, give Gonzaga a lot of credit. They've had an unbelievable year, and uh, anything can happen this weekend, but I, I think uh, it's destiny that they're going to cut down the nets. Hey, Pete, we've done an awful lot of talking here about the teams and the coaches. If it comes down to Monday night and it's crunch time and it's a it's a nail biter, it could go either way. Do you give an advantage to one of these coaches over the other ones as far as the coach that you would want making the X's O's on the sidelines there? Uh, good question. Also, uh, they're both terrific coaches. I mean, to get to the final four and get to the championship game, you have to be a, a terrific coach. I coached against Mark Few back in 2001 a while ago when I was at Virginia. It was only his second year at Gonzaga, and uh, we played a team, Dan Dickow, you might remember that name, who played in the NBA for yep. a while, and Casey Calvary was a, a very good college player, and we had Roger Mason Jr., who was a, a good, solid player in the NBA, you know, role player for a, a while. Uh, he's a tremendous coach. I think Scott Drew is a very good coach, but I give a, a slight edge to Mark Few. I think uh, he's really meticulous and uh, does an unbelievable job, and I, I coach against him, so I saw what he did offensively and defensively, and uh, he beat us by one uh, at that game back in, uh, it was in Memphis and uh, during the NCAA tournament. So, and Scott too is a good coach, but uh, I think Mark Few is an elite coach, so I give him a slight edge. As as Bill Rafferty says, your your partner, you got to have some onions, don't you, Pete? Got to have some onions down there. You do. You got to you got you got to be you know not worry about what happens. You just got to coach in a moment, and you got to have courage, and uh, you got to play to win, not not to lose. You know, there's some games in a tournament where teams get a little conservative. I won't mention the team, but. Some teams start holding the ball too soon. Playing, you got to play to win. You know what I mean? Play to win, not not to lose. It's a big difference. You got to have the courage to, to be aggressive and, and uh, take your chances. So uh, 
But Bill Raftery's the best. He's an unbelievable uh, analyst and uh, does a great job. All right, final thing for you, Pete. So you said that you, you like Baylor in a close game against Houston. The line here at the Cosmopolitan, of course, is 14 points, Gonzaga over UCLA. Uh, is this going to be another double-digit romp for Gonzaga, or can UCLA cover that 14? That's a great question. I, I can't give you exact amounts on, on uh, scoring lines, but I, I think it's going to be a low-scoring game because I think UCLA is going to take the air out of the I think they're going to, you know what I mean? They're going to walk it up. If I was coaching, what I would do three things. i try to get Jalen Suggs in foul trouble, try to step in on him because he pushes the break. Uh, you know, Johnny Juzang got to play out of his mind. Once again, he's got to, you know, whatever he ate that day, whatever clothes he wore, wear the same clothes, you know, do everything. All right? They, they got to hit 12 threes, the Bruins. And I would double-team Drew Timmy, the big guy inside for uh, Gonzaga. So I, I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. So, uh, I think the Bruins are going to, you know, be competitive. I, I, you know, it could be double figures, but uh, I, I think, you know, they're going to. It's going to be a closer game than people think. Uh, so I think the Bruins will uh, hang in there and do a decent job. I don't think they can score enough to beat Gonzaga, but I, I think that they'll uh, be competitive. All right, Pete, great stuff. I appreciate you taking the time today. Uh, always love having you on. And I said uh, maybe we'll get to. Another opinion for you on Monday if you got a few moments. But appreciate it. As always, my friend, you are fantastic. Uh, and the man has some onions, no doubt about it. TC, you're my idol. You're certainly the best. And thank you for the memory. <laughs> Take care, brother. Appreciate it. There he is. Pete Gillum, the former coach at Xavier Providence and uh, Virginia. And, of course, fantastic job with CBS Sports. Uh, you know, he's coming down to... Uh, the end of the season for him here. And, uh, you know, Pete loves the Cosmopolitan, Brian. If you remember, uh, you know, Pete has been here when we had the Mountain West Conference uh, media days. And uh, he loves the food here. Well, who doesn't love the food here? Come on. I mean, TC, with the exception of the fact that the French onion soup is not at the uh, Blue Ribbon right now, uh, there, there's nothing uh, There's nothing wrong. In fact, yesterday we just opened up David Chang's latest creation here, Bong Bar, uh, to a rip-roaring success. And uh, people are enjoying that style of food up there. Right Great right. stuff, man. Great stuff. Exactly. But you still get the... Uh, the French onion at the Henry as well, too. Oh, yeah, and, and, and the French onion is coming back to the Blue Ribbon uh, at, at one point. In time. It, but the, it will but we back. don't need it because the tomato soup is fantastic. Yeah, I, don't need it, it. You know, it's, it's hard to look when you when you polish off your tomato soup in a blink of an eye, TC, <laughs> that uh, there's any complaints about the soup or anything at Blue Ribbon. Now, now wait a second. I'm confused. You're, you're all over it that we need it. We need it. And now you don't need it again. Do you want, are, are, you, are you putting in the petition for it or not? I changed my mind, okay, because I always go to the Henry, you know, you know to get as well. And <laughs> And, and I mean, it, you were you were onion-focused half that interview with Pete, and now all of a sudden you're backing off it. Well, be, because the thing about Blue Ribbon, as you know, Frank, I mean, you've got a plethora of, of great stuff there. So if, if one thing isn't on the menu anymore, you know, because of the COVID scale back, you go to something else. So I have now said I'm, I'm all in with the tomato soup. So, so basically, if this was in-show wagering, you were all over the onions, yes. and now you've taken yes. your account, and yes. you've backed off, and you've hedged your bet. I've hedged my bet, exactly. <laughs> Anything wrong with that? I, and the thing is, I can middle that. You'll patiently wait for the bread. And I can middle, oh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah patiently. But, and we, we know who the star is. Okay, We know that the star of the Blue Ribbon is the chicken wings. We, we know that.
Okay, we're not talking these minuscule <laughs> chicken wings. We're talking monstrous pieces of chicken here. Okay, and you talk about me devouring that. I, I've seen you go to work on the spicy tuna, my friend, in record time. So what are you talking yes, about? Yes, yes, the spicy tuna up there is fantastic. <laughs> the albacore is great. The crab legs. Are fried. Oh. It's a, as far as a raw bar, that you you can't go wrong there, and the service is phenomenal. All so. Right. Uh, our good friends at Blue Ribbon do a fantastic job, and if you're visiting the Cosmopolitan, be sure to check them out on the third floor here. Check them out, everybody. STK, they're all fantastic here at the Cosmopolitan. All right, when we come back, a little BGK talk. Next hour, we will uh, talk to Todd Simon, just named the Jim Phelan Coach of the Year, the D1 Coach of the Year. He will join us, and uh, our good friend Curtis Terry, who does a great job with uh, UNLV radio broadcasting, the former Renner Rebel. He will jump on give us his predictions as well, too. So plenty to do, plenty to talk about here. Of course, it is the Final Four preview show, the T.C. Martin Show, live from the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. I do exactly what I want to do. It's, it's the, the Dr. Dr. T.C. Martin. You say I'm insane? I say thank you very much. The doctor is now in. Real live from the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. Don't forget, now is the time to get the William Hill mobile app. That is correct. You download the app on your phone, and then you get over here to the Cosmopolitan or any of the William Hill Sportsbook properties, deposit at least $50 into a new account. Boom, bam, slam. They will match it with an additional $50 uh, free money to play with. The William Hill mobile app, but you have to use the promo code TC50. Use that promo code double B. What is it? TC50. That's right, TC50, or as Frank would say, TC Fitty. That's right. <laughs> they, they, they'll accept all languages here at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. The William Hill Sportsbook. TC Fifty is a promo code. Fifty free dollars when you open a new account. Now is the time to do it. Bet where you watch the games. Avoid the long lines. It is the William Hill mobile app. By the way, am I the only one that had a Batman flashback or something when you were saying that they were boom, bam, slam, and all that? Um, I think we all did because I mean <laughs> Brian was doing the motions himself there. You know how? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brian thought he was robbing there for a little bit. Yeah, that, that was some horrible show. But, you know, we all watched it as a kid, so. <laughs> really? What, what was, what was uh, worse, that or Lost in Space? Uh, it's a toss-up. That's a toss-up. <laughs> Lost in Space. There were some bad ones back then. Yeah, but, yeah, but, but you know what? They were fun, and, and it was entertaining, and, you know, there was only, like, three stations to look at. Right, Let's exactly. Watch it. It wasn't like you turn on now, you're like, oh, there's nothing on these 7,000 stations yeah. I have. But, but at least you, I know that you are with me that you were a Munsters guy, that you did yeah, like yeah. the Munsters. Munsters over the Adams family. They're absolutely yes, correct. Yes, yes. I, I, in fact, I really can't say much about the Adams family because I was more of a Munsters guy. There you go. Yeah. Absolutely. There it is. All right, kind of like uh, UCLA over USC, right? Uh, UCLA over that school a few miles away <laughs> inland. Uh, you won't yeah. even say it, huh? Yeah, that's a, that's a must. That's wow. a must. You know, I, I was actually cheering for that. I thought USC would play Gonzaga tougher. I thought their big yeah. men would step up, but uh, Gonzaga really took it to them early, took them out of the game. I thought uh, SC played a really good second half. But Gonzaga was so good, they could just never get close. I mean, uh, it was it was an impressive game for Gonzaga, especially Timmy. Timmy was unstoppable out there. Phenomenal. All right, guys, let's talk a little uh, Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, wow, last night they lose to the Minnesota Wild. So uh, the Golden Knights uh, lose back-to-back -back nights. They lost to the Kings uh, two nights ago, and then they lose to the Wild last night. This game goes to overtime. No winner decided there, so we got to go to the shootout. And I don't know how you felt, Double B, but... Robin Leonard in a shootout, not good. And just the look <laughs> on his face when the OT was concluded, I said, like, oh, here we go again. I don't feel good about this. As we know, he has a horrendous record in the shootouts. Don't know why, but if this was a soccer match, when he's a soccer term, it was like an own goal. 
I mean, it, go, it goes off of him, his, his back, his skate, and the Wild win 3-2 in a shootout. Yeah, the Wild won the game. Kind of disappointing. The Wild won the game in a shootout. And shootouts are, you know you get the point, you're there and you're a fan, but it's so disappointing to leave after a shootout because you're so close to getting that yeah. second point. Uh, Minnesota, you know, they, that guy ran, ran, I mean, really, really slammed into uh, Leonard. Uh, uh, was that an overtime third period? What was that, third period? I think it was a third. third yeah, it, but it was it was a and I don't know he didn't he didn't look quite the same after that. Uh, when it went into the shootout though, he looked bad. TC, mm-hmm. uh, he yes. flopped around and really got yeah. lucky on that first goal. He was completely beat and kind of flung his leg out there, and the puck just happened to find it. The second goal he got beat and it hit the post. He had a chance to stop it when it came back to him. Didn't know and it bounced off him. Uh, the Vegas Golden Knights could not solve uh, or solve uh, Talbot. Uh, Talbot was exceptional, made two remarkable saves against um, Keegan, Keegan, yeah, Keegan yeah. Kolasar, and, and then made a just a fantastic st- stop on uh, Alex Tuck, who, uh, who broke in with a burst of speed and uh, just couldn't beat the goalie. So, you know, it happens sometimes in hockey. I think the Vegas Golden Knights played pretty well. They were undermanned. They were only skating 10 forwards uh, based on some salary cap and some injury things that happened. And, uh, you know, it, it happens. They did get one point, uh, but the goalie beat them in that game. Uh, Talbot was really outstanding. Uh, it was really fantastic, TC, to watch the skill and the energy and the excitement that uh, uh, Braden McNabb brought to the game. Uh, he brought some real physicality, so had some monster hits in the game, and then uh, hit the post once, and then got rewarded with a nice goal on the screen from Tuck uh, later in the game. Yeah, I... I, I... When Leonard gets in a shootout, you can tell that he doesn't have the confidence there. He's even talked about it. He spoke about it in Chicago before he was even with the Vegas Golden Knights. He was jokingly saying last season that if they wanted to put Crawford in for the shootout during the during the shootout in a game that he had played, he wouldn't necessarily be opposed to it. So that's not the kind of thing you want a goalie to be saying at that time. Well, let's face it, Vegas had some chances there. I mean, they had the power play. They had a four-on-three, and they didn't score on that. I mean, right there, I mean, that's where you expect to win the game, and they couldn't get it done there. Minnesota has always been a bad matchup for them. We spoke about that yesterday a little bit. And boy, Cam Talbot, I don't know about you, Brian, but when I see him, I see a goalie right now that's playing better and with more confidence in Minnesota than he did before when he was with Edmonton or Calgary or the other places he's been in that. I mean, he seems like he's really rejuvenated, that he's found a good place. And Minnesota right now is one of the feel-good stories in the NHL. I mean, they've been on a roll. They did lose the two games coming into this. I think maybe a little bit they were looking ahead to Vegas. But, you know, we all thought before the season it was going to be Vegas, Colorado, and probably St. Louis, and then who's the fourth one going to be? Right now, Minnesota looks like the more solid choice is St. Louis is kind of dropping down, and you don't know what's going on with them right now, but Minnesota looks like a serious contender and playing really good hockey and getting a lot more confidence out there. This division may be not as bad. The bottom teams still aren't very good, but on the top end, the playoffs could be really interesting. Yeah, let me, I, let me I, ask you guys, why, why is it that, and we've talked about this before, why do the Wild play the Golden Knights so tough? What is it about that matchup? Because you just know what kind of game you're going to be into. And, and the Knights have been kind of on, on the losing end uh, over the last couple seasons with the Wild. Yeah, the Wild in the last few years have played a very defensive-minded game. Uh, they, they kind of slow it down. I think these were one of the two best defenses in the league uh, in goals against yesterday. Uh, to go back to what you said, Talbot, I've never been a fan of Talbot. But, boy, he looked spectacular last night. Their backup goalie uh, is playing quite well. Uh, yeah, the youngster, well. yeah. Yeah, the, the youngster, and then, then they've got the thrill out there. So they've got a lot of good pieces, and, and uh, 
for some reason, there's just teams that you struggle with, TC. Yeah. They just they just they match up well against you, and and that's what Minnesota's done throughout the years. Uh, this game's totally different if, if one of those goals or both of those goals by Keegan Colasar goes in because they're they're now having to chase the game. Uh, Minnesota, they were within one the whole time. They got that late power play goal to. Uh, uh, to tie it at two, and uh, you know they were able to win the shootout. Uh, I don't know what it is about um, Leonard and his confidence in the shootout. He's obviously not as athletic as a Mark Andre Fleury, uh, but he is uh, dead last, I think, in the history of the NHL when it comes to shootouts. So uh, he's going to have to step that up because you know we're going to need those 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 points are going to be important down the stretch, and he's going to be involved in probably another couple of them. So uh, hopefully he can pull one out. Well, it doesn't help when our guys don't score, though. That, 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 that makes it a little more difficult on them. Yeah, and if there's a positive there, obviously they don't have shootouts come to playoff time, and they don't play the three-on-three hockey either, so you know he's not going to have to face those situations. But yeah, Leonard's a big goalie, and he uses his position a lot. And in five-on-five, or even when he's killing a penalty or something, he gets in the right position, he has his defensemen, they know what to expect from him, and they play the game that way. In the shootout with a one-on-one, when the guy's coming down, You know, it's like, uh, you know, he says a big man can be fast when he needs to be, but it doesn't look like he has that confidence. It's funny because in the game, if someone gets a breakaway, it seems like he stops it more often than not. But in the shootout, when he has to think about it and the other guy's thinking about it, you can see his confidence lacking a little bit. You mentioned the goal that he gave up, the one before it where he kicked his leg back. He was actually beat on that, and he made a, a, a great save, but still a lucky save too. The second one... He was beat, but it hit the post. But then he was still backing into it, and when it bounced off him, he had no idea where it was. He was looking around. He was hoping it hit the post, and it went wide. Hey, I'm sure he didn't even feel it hit him. Then he heard that, it, you know, the referee points, and it goes in the back of the net. But it's like when he gets that, he doesn't have that confidence, and his size almost becomes a negative instead of the positive because of that. He's, the other guys are using speed and moves and that kind of stuff. And I think part of it is he outthinks himself. He overthinks it. He tries to get ready for the situation instead of just relaxing and using a little bit of athleticism and using that size to stop him. Yeah, the biggest difference between a breakaway and the shootout, uh, on a breakaway, they're flying. And there's usually somebody right behind them and, and, and giving them a little pressure. And they can maybe make one move and go. On the shootout, they can kind of slow it down, pick their places, get the goalie to commit. And that's really what he does is he commits, and he's a big man. And when he commits one way and they deke the other way, the, the net's generally wide open. So uh, it, it's a difficult thing for him uh, because he is a big man and, and much more of a positional uh, goalie than, than Marc-Andre Fleury, uh, who's so much more athletic. Um, I'm looking forward to Now, TC, let's see what kind of pull you have. We need to move this game to about... <laughs> one or two in the afternoon. Six o'clock tomorrow. Yeah, I know. It's yeah. bellying up right against my Bruins. I know. So, I know. Uh, this is going to be difficult. To, you, know, you know I'm a guy that I'm going to have to go picture in picture. Yeah. I'm going to have to go with the, you know, a lot of things to watch there. But uh, uh, see what you could do. See if they can move that game up a few hours just for me. Double B, I'm just going to say this to you. <laughs> this is a regular season hockey game. Oh, no. There's Your no Bruins in the final four as an 11 seed, as a co-11 seed from their own region, your mind and your focus has to be all about the blue and the gold tomorrow. Okay, the, gold. The, the, the Golden Knights, here's what you do, my friend. Here's my advice to you. You go ahead, and I know you're a live sports guy. You've got to record this. You record it, you shut your, the, the world off to any updates or whatever, and then say 8, 9 o'clock tomorrow night, 
you get in your man cave, you change out of your Bruins gear, you put your VGK on, put on that beautiful gold helmet that you love so much with the golden knights as well, Ugh. and watch that game <laughs> in its entirety. How's that advice? That, you know what, and maybe get, get a bucket of chicken from Blue Ribbon delivered that, to that you. That is solid. That is solid. I, I do like that. I, I yeah. am someone that could shut it all down. Yeah. And, and you know, I looked at the phone after uh, yeah. UCLA won. Just tell, I, just tell I, Trevor I the referee not to turn off all your notifications from Trevor the referee. Just turn the, well, if I can't turn the phone off. but Yeah. I'll you know what I mean? What's crazy is you say, you know, people want to say, oh, they're the, the Cinderella, and they are UCLA yeah. as the 11 seed, but they've won 11 titles where you've got yeah. Houston, Baylor, Gonzaga all seeking their first title. Exactly. So yeah. uh, it, it should be fun this weekend. Yeah. All right. And, and just uh, closing out last night's hockey game, that was the ugliest shootout period I think I've ever seen. That was just ugly. On, on, the whole shootout was ugly. I don't know. I thought Talbot looked really good for yeah, Minnesota. I mean, if but, you're a Wild fan, I thought that. But it, I just, I didn't I just think thought it was the, the the approach of, of of the Golden Knights in 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 both teams, just the way they approached that. I mean, especially I don't know. I'm not I'm not one for the the slow up and and shake jive move whatever. I don't know. It was yeah, well, he, Alex he, Duncan he didn't a, do any of that. He yeah. came flying in yeah. and Talbot yeah. stopped he him. He made a, he made a really nice save and, and he, he you know he's got a nice release there. I was surprised we didn't see Pacioretty out there. Um, right. Um, Theodore's move wasn't wasn't overly strong. Theodore does yeah. the same backhand move every time, <laughs> and, and I'm not knocking him for it because he's succeed he's successful a lot. But Talbot has seen that move before, and the announcers even mentioned that in the game when he gets a shootout. He has the no, one backhand no. move. Talbot yeah. was the reason they, they won that game last night, no I, doubt. I am right. not a fan of the shootout, period. I so understand that. I'd see, rather see it settled, go 10 minutes of overtime with a three-on-three. Three. Somebody's going to get there. But just take the clock off. Somebody's going to get there. There you go. All right. Hour number one in the books. When we come back, more March Madness talk, even though it's April. Uh, we talk Final Four. We'll be breaking it down. Todd Simon will join us, Curtis Terry. So hang tight for that. Don't you dare go anywhere. We're live from the Cosmopolitan Racing Sportsbook, powered by William Hill. It is the T.C. Martin Show on a final four Friday.